0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. Today, we have a very fun show. I'm just going to put that out there. It's different than our usual format because we have multiple guests and multiple participants. So we are doing a show with our friends at Divergent Options, and they're a fantastic resource for information on various topics. And we have some of the Divergent Options team with us, and they'll explain more And then my co-producer, Sina, is also going to be a part of the show because both Sina and I have written for this great site and this great resource. So um, once again, if you haven't listened to the Loopcast, I'm Chelsea Damon, and I'm going to pass it over to my co-producer right now as well.
1: Hey, how's it going? Um, This is Sina. I'm sure some of you have heard of me. Um, And so today we wanted to do a show on, as, as Chelsea said, divergent options. Um... Part of this was, I think, um, it's frankly, one of my favorite sort of NATSAC, national security and security um, blogs or publications, depending, I I don't know what word the kids are using now. Um, But it was definitely something that um, I think we needed to draw more attention to and to sort of have a long-form discussion about. Um, I think Luke Cast's goals are, as you guys know, it's, you know, dedicating ourselves to sort of um bringing more attention and educating people about you know certain national security issues but also i think uh post 2016 um our show has become sort of you know a fact based you know popular podcast you know we we try not to express an opinion rather just let somebody talk let them have their viewpoint and sort of you make the decision as the listener which i think our friends at divergent options as as you'll hear you know almost have the same viewpoint and the same sort of um philosophy so we really wanted to just bring them on you know have this conversation and hopefully when when you stop listening to the podcast you'll go you know read you know what's been published on divergent options um it's probably it's really top notch so <laughs> here we go <laughs>
0: Yeah, so why don't we do this? I'm going to have each of our guests introduce themselves and give our listeners a mini bio about themselves because, um, like I said, we've got three guests from Divergent Options. So one of them is a reoccurring guest on the Loopcast, and that's Phil Walter. So why don't you start off with telling us who you are, Phil?
2: Thank you so much, Chelsea. Uh, My name is Phil Walter. Uh, I have served in the military both as uh, enlisted and officer, both active duty and reserves. I've served in the intelligence community, and I've served on interagency assignment. And uh, along with Steve Leonard and Bob Hine, I am fortunate enough to run uh, uh, divergentoptions.org.
0: And I'll let our next guest introduce themselves, either Steve or Bob, whoever wants to go first.
3: Bob, why don't you, you, you him? Okay. By, okay, fair enough. So I'm uh, Bob Hine. I, a 30-year uh, surface warfare officer in the Navy. Um, I retired from the Navy about 10 days ago, and my last job was as the uh, Dr- Deputy Director of Strategy for the Navy. Um, I started writing. You know, I was, I was one of those guys throughout my whole career, and I know you guys can appreciate this. It was like... All the time, there was like, I got to write, I want, someday I want to write an article about this, but I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time, and then I got an opportunity to to uh, work at Brookings Institution for a year. I started writing, and I met Phil through the, the uh, Military Writers, Writers Guild, and uh, Steve as well, and I just started writing, and it became the bend the bug bit, and so I've, that's uh, become my new passion. Um, my wife's greatest concern in my retirement is that I will hole up in a den and do nothing but write op-eds for the next 20 years plus, but... <laughs> to be seen. There are worse ways to spend your days, believe me.
2: <laughs> yes, there are. I would yeah, agree with that.
3: It, her, her concern is the um, the income that comes in from op eds is not quite what uh, <laughs> yeah. some other other avenues make. Things.
2: You could, Bob. You, you know could write. Point? You could write for a week, Bob, and then at the end of the week, be able to buy yourself a plate of buffalo wings.
4: <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
3: Uh. All right. Well, you know, so, there's That whole philosophy of of write drunk, edit sober. I'm pretty sure that's what they're saying. Is. <laughs> and if it's not, it should be. Yeah. There you go. There you go.
0: And Steve, what about yourself? Why don't you introduce All yourself to right. our listeners?
4: So, so my name's Steve Leonard. Um, uh, like Bob, I'm a career military officer. I retired at uh, 28 years, and my last job in the military was uh, uh, I was the uh, chief of operations for the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth. A um, little background, uh, I, was a, I was a senior military strategist uh, throughout the last 15 years of my career and along the way created something called Doctrine Man that kind of exploded beyond the um, Uh, any expectations. It started off as something uh, to pass the time amongst a small group of people in a a cubicle farm and uh, got bigger and bigger and then became something different. And uh, um, you get beyond that. um, I discovered discovered writing when I was in college. I was an engineer and and discovered writing early on. And uh, it was something that I followed my whole career. I I made a promise to myself... uh, before I even came in the Army, that I'd publish something every year, whether it be an article, whether it be something. And, and I stayed true to that throughout my whole career. So it's been a passion that, as Bob would say, it really doesn't pay a whole hell of a lot. Uh, I think I've sold one piece my whole career. But, uh, you know, you follow the passion and you enjoy it. And it's a great way to, as I've always told people, that's how you really get a legacy. You know, I, I'm not going to be an NBA champion I'm not going to be president, so I'm hoping that my writing will uh, be something that's cited for years to come by somebody uh, in a positive sense. Uh, personally, um, I, uh, I run the, uh, the master's program in organizational leadership at the University of Kansas the School of Business. Uh, I'm a non-resident fellow with the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm also uh, one of the founders of the Military uh, Writers Guild, which is uh, where my association with Bob and Phil come in. I'm also a recurring contributor to the Atlantic Council's Art of Future Warfare Project. Uh, in, the, in my spare time, I've published four books that were filled with cartoons, one book that is uh, filled with uh, uh, how to rebuild a country after a war, and then just uh, a lot of odds and ends in between. And that, in a nutshell, is who I am.
0: Well, thank you. I have to say that everybody has very impressive backgrounds, and I also want to thank all of you for serving in the military and the Navy and keeping America great. (laughs) Not to quote Trump, though, but yes, keeping America America, let's put it that way. Um, And Steve, you mentioned the word passion a number of times when it comes to writing and writing pieces and a lot of the ideas that are featured in Divergent Options, there's this passion, and I think Cena can contest this as well. That the loop cast is a passion of ours. We do this out of the goodness of our hearts for fun. It's you know not a paying job either. It's just it's something we love, and we love getting fantastic guests that talk talk about topics that they're passionate about. So I feel like we all share that passion. Um, in both of our projects so it's fantastic to have you on so why chelsea,
3: don't you yep go ahead chelsea as you will find an impressive resume comes from being a 30-year career type a person which i'm sure someday both you and cena will discover yes yeah
0: <laughs> i'm sure yes i will put the floor over to you and i will let one of you Give us sort of the opening question of why did you start divergent options?
2: so i'll uh, I'll start with that, Chelsea. So um, October of last year, um, I read an article that on uh, that was put out by by an author who i who I respected then and I still respect now, who I will not name, who uh, worked for an organization that I respected then and respected now and I will not name. But that organization, but uh, that our, that author wrote an article that, um, despite the organization's kind of claim of being um, nonpartisan, I thought was very, very partisan, and um, it kind of it struck me as being very, very different from the norm with of which of the things I had seen from both that organization and that author. And uh, I, I kind of got a little bit fired up about it, a little bit probably too fired up than I should have been. And I had this idea come to me of, of um, you know, I thought, you know, what we should do, we should, I should start a website where, you know, we write things that, you know, examine a situation and examine options, but then at the end of it, never recommends anything. No matter what happens, we never, ever, ever make a recommendation, and we kind of force the reader to, uh, to, you know, make their own, make their own choice. And so, and then on top of that, I wanted, I had this, this, you know, vision in my mind of based upon my experiences, you know, what do I know about the elements of a piece of paper that are put in front of a decision maker in Washington, DC? Well, generally they have a background paragraph. They have a, You know, they describe the significance of the situation, and then they look at various options and risks and gains. And so I kind of, you know, I wanted to distill everything down, keep it at a thousand words or less, so that that would increase the probability of someone reading it. I wanted to use a specific format so that it not only made our – articles easy to write for our writers because we do we do not pay any, any of our writers they write for us out of the good of goodness of their hearts and so we designed this format so that they could fill in like one heading a day for a week or so and then have it done in their spare time and then i also wanted to make it so that our readers would always know where to find information instead of having to search through thousands and thousands of words for the bottom line or the point or the thesis statement. I wanted to kind of have a format that was very specific. And so I wanted to make things easy on readers and easy on writers and um, and also not recommend anything and kind of force our readership to decide. And And I thought this was a good idea. This may be a good idea or, or it actually may be, may be a horrible idea. And I was kind of originally leaning more towards horrible because I had not seen any other website kind of doing this thing. Most were very free flow. Most were definitely longer than a thousand words, Um, and I didn't know if it would work or not. So uh, I uh, reached out to Steve in the Military Writers Guild, and I I emailed him, and I said, Steve, I have this idea. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but I need your take on it because you've been doing this longer than I have. And at that point, I'll turn it over to Steve.
4: And so, so when Phil and I started to talk, it was literally, um, I'll confess that Phil, Phil's not the first person to throw an idea like that at me, but he was the first person to throw an idea at me that was as unique as this one. And having been a planner as long as I have, um, I'm used to this kind of a format, and I'm used to this kind of an approach to, a, to solving a problem. Let's look at the options. Let's consider, let's weigh each option. Let's consider the benefits, the risks, the whole the whole nine yards that goes with with the evaluation process of those options. And that's how we always present things to senior leaders, whether they be political or military. That's just the way things go. Now, so when Phil throws this out at me, and you look at it, and I had I had to admit, I love the idea. I love the idea if for no other reason than there isn't anybody else out there in the national security space who does this. There's people who write their opinions all day long, people who just say, hey, you know, we need to do this in Syria, we need to go do this in South Korea, North Korea, Iran, Iraq, wherever. Everybody's got an opinion, but nobody wants to take the time to lay out the options and really look at them. And then not recommend an option, just say, hey, here are the options available. Let's you you yourself can consider the best option out there. And and the uniqueness of that was something that hit me right away. Uh, and then probably the second thing that, that, that really struck me was as word of Phil's idea started to spread, the amount of pushback we got indicated that Phil had really hit the sweet spot with an idea because there were people that were – the pushback really represented people that were afraid of the competition within the national security space. And, and that was the confirmation that I, that I think I needed, and I think Phil did too, to know that we'd hit on something that was a really great idea and had a tremendous amount of potential to move forward with. And, and I think that, in a nutshell, is, is the genesis of all of this. Phil?
2: And and so um, we, Steve and I, were kind of getting things rolling, and I was coming up with formats and emailing um, back and forth. But but I've always been, you know, someone who wanted to try to get, you know, surround myself whenever possible by people who know a lot more than I do. And so I had already um, been blessed to have Steve come on board. And I said to Steve, I said, I think I think we need one more person on board, and I would really like to reach out to Bob Hine. And Bob and I had met through the Military Writers Guild. I had helped him edit an article. We had had coffee a couple times, and um, and so I and I had been at a at a strategy event where Bob and I sat next to each other and had a really good time there. And I said, uh, so I sent an email to Bob and I said, "Hey, um, Steve and I are doing this thing. Love for you to come on board and take it away, Bob."
3: So so when. deliciously called me, it was like, what I had my first question to him was, okay, you have to understand, I'm retiring soon, and after 30 years in the Navy, um, I'd love to do this, but you have to understand, I'm going to be hiking the Appalachian Trail for six months. If you can deal with that, then, then we're good. And he said, absolutely, so I was all on board. As, uh, as Steve had mentioned, you know, he, he, working in the national security sphere, this is how we write. This is exactly what we do. And, and if you go out into the world of your general op-ed land and think tank land, you know, everybody's writing their piece, as Phil had mentioned, you know, trying to influence that national security discussion. And so when on the flip side, where, where I live or have lived, you know, we were trying to put together the options. You're looking, you know, across the board, you're trying to pull down various uh, opinions and points of view. And there was, there was nothing out there that actually – in one paper laid out all the options or various options and so it really did the work for you um, as a writer I found that the uh, the format is so much easier because literally you know you can write a paragraph a day you know I got this topic this topic this topic and then I can bang them out and and so it's a, for a writer it's a much easier platform to use um, and so it was it was it just it just made sense and and again the uniqueness of it within the, uh, the national security Writing in op-ed sphere, uh, really, really is a, a voice that those those of us that that, uh, that need this kind of content was good, and so that's where I knew it was going to be a home run. couldn't be Couldn't be happier to be part of this team.
0: And maybe you could describe to me the type of writers that you feature, because looking at the site and the different articles and the different bios on people, if they have bios, because you give them the option to be anonymous if they want to as well, but maybe describe some of the writers and their backgrounds because it's very diverse.
2: So, yeah, so it's really interesting as as um, as this was coming together, I had spoken with Steve and I said, I said, what's funny in the, what's funny to me in the national security kind of blog website world is how there are a great number of websites who claim, um, you know, air quotes, we are looking for new voices. And it's funny because different people have different ideas of what a new voice is. So for some people, a new voice could be a, you know, 20-year military person um, at the rank of 05 who has a ton of experience but has never written and been published um, anywhere and that person is a new voice. And so um, so some people may see, well, I'm a new voice. I've never written before. Then they submit to that publication, and they get rejected because they're not really looking for new voices. They're looking for people who've never published before, and that's but who have significant experience. Um, other websites are, um, you know, their version of a new voice could be anybody who um, has a certain background or a certain idea or something like that. So, when we started Divergent Options, the biggest thing that, that, that we wanted to do was really focus on the idea instead of the pedigree or the race or sex or nationality or language or anything. And that, those words are something that we tweet quite often, which is we value good ideas more than race, sex, nationality, language, or, or, or pedigree. You know, Please, if you're interested, um, we encourage you to write for us because what we want to focus on is the idea. Um, my father, uh, used, who's a uh, retired Marine Corps Reserve Master Sergeant, used to always, you know, impress upon me at a young age, you know, there's no known correlation between genius and collar insignia, and uh, and that's always always kind of stuck with. Oh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> laughing about that, and that's uh, that's always stuck with me. And so I really wanted divergent options to focus on the idea. And what's interesting is I had somebody recently email me, and they said, I've never been to college. Is that okay? Can I write for Divergent Options? And I just replied, I said, I don't care that you've ever been to college. If you have a good idea, here's our format, send it. And uh, that person wrote a great article that will be published in the the coming weeks. And so, you know, I don't want to say use the phrase, you know, we welcome new voices. I just want to say we welcome good ideas, um, more so than anything. And now I'll I'll kick it over to Steve.
4: Yeah, hey, I, I love thanks. I like to really like to jump on that one because um, the diversity of writers that that we pull in is really important. And like 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 Phil mentioned, you know, every every outlet has its own pedigree. And its own, I'm not sure what the right word is, but who they'll let write for them. Um, and, and it doesn't always work. Uh, on my own personal blog, the most popular blog I ever uh, post I ever ran was by a female lieutenant, a uh, female minority lieutenant, who just wanted to write about how women are treated and how women are looked at within the military. Very junior, and nobody had any interest in what she had to say until I put it on medium for her, and it exploded, and, and it gave her a voice that nobody else would give her, and by, by doing this, I mean, you, we can have experienced writers all day long, but it's the idea, like Phil said, it's the idea, not the pedigree, that's important, and if we don't give a voice to those great ideas, then, you know, shame on us for not at least attempting and it may take a little bit more editing work in the end, and Bill is a fantastic editor, by the way. Um, but it's worth it. It's really worth it. it you know, even since we were sitting here, I had an email from somebody I've never heard of before asking, how do I break into writing? And the, there's so many people out there that have a voice, but they just don't know how to find it. And and through Divergent Options, I think we've done a terrific job of giving those those voices uh, an outlet, and and I think it's worked terrific for us. And with that uh, Bob?
1: If, uh, I'm sorry no, I didn't I... To, to interrupt, but um, to sort of emphasize that point, like I think you, Divergent Options is one of the first like blogs that I've seen that features a mix of security specialists, like like especially your series on cybersecurity, like like it's kind of blew my mind because you're actually having practitioners laying out options, like, I, for, for somebody, like, when you're in a technical field, and then you read something, like, on foreign policy, and it's, like, it doesn't capture the nuance of the policy, it doesn't capture anything, and it doesn't really, like, you can tell that it's so, sort of somebody trying to understand the tech, but also trying to enunciate a policy or recommend something, what what I really like about divergent options is that, like, you, you, have, you because it's not about pedigree it's about ideas you inevitably have attracted like people like scott Turbin. um your article on egypt on osin egypt was 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 excellent and it was just like you know getting away from focusing on pedigree and just on the ideas just you know it's simple but also like mind-blowing to be honest with you
4: (laughs) it's it's also risky Uh, you know you're Because we're trying to do something, I think, that not a lot of people do. And and there's a certain amount of risk in that. And and I think uh, from the get-go, we all agree to accept that risk uh, and let it take us where it might.
3: But, you know, going to to Phil's point, though, of, of getting actual new voices is, you know, on the uniform side, senior leaders all the time scream for, hey, we need to bring in, you know, the young people, get new innovative ideas. But they never tell them what the means and the mechanism is in which to do that. And again, is as, as you know, a lot of these uh, national security publications and blogs are so hard to break into unless you've got the pedigree. You may have a great idea, but you may be, you know, a nascent writer, and you've always wanted to write it. Now you've got that you've got that opportunity. And so, you know, and and see so it just ex- exactly as you said, you know, the, the ability for experienced writers, the full pedigree, but people that are just entering and they're like, wait a minute, I have a great idea. And that's,
0: it has to be that. have you featured international writers? Because I know all of you have huge careers that have taken place here in the States, but you are open to all writers. So what countries have you featured in your writers?
2: As far as um, non-U.S. writers, we've had folks from Egypt, and we have had quite a few from Australia, um, and and uh, which has been great. But I have been trying to get we've been trying to get more um, non-U.S. writers. Um, I have sent um, several direct me- messages to followers who are not from the U.S. who, by their Twitter profile, looks like they are they have written before. Inviting them to write for us, and kind of one of the jokes that I always throw out there as part of my um, invite to them is I am a, you know, I I always say, I am a six-foot-tall white male who lives in D.C., and I am tired of my species dominating the national security space. (laughs) You know, I always always say that, and 100% of the time, I get back a smile or a laugh or, yeah, man, I know what you mean. (laughs) Um, you know, and so I, I, I really want not me writing for us whenever possible.
0: And maybe you could discuss this format of not including recommendations. And I know you touched on the main core of it, but I found that very interesting because as we've mentioned in this talk already, the majority of, Products coming out of D.C. always have recommendations. So give our listeners more of an in-depth reason for this.
2: Well, so I originally had the idea because I've been fortunate enough to hang out with um, uh, quite a few veterans of the Department of Defense Office of Net Assessment, or ONA, which you probably have heard of because Andy Marshall started it. And there's a lot of really interesting, um, um, thinking on issues that they have done over the years. And he, he retired a few years ago at like age 93. And so in hanging out with those folks, they had talked to me about how they generally diagnose issues, but do not recommend. And that's, um, that kind of got my mind wrapped around it. And then, um, When I saw the original writer who kind of gave me the idea for this make a recommendation, and as I observed that almost every national security website makes a recommendation of some kind, um, I wanted to refrain from that and, number one, let the reader reader decide, but then number two, kind of force our writers to look at something beyond the original solution they had in their mind. I think a lot of people, when they write for um, national security websites, they they walk in and they and they know they they start to write and they know I have an issue that I'm going to describe and then I have a solution I'm going to provide um, and we don't allow people to just provide one solution and even if even if one of the options that somebody provides is a status quo type option, they still need to articulate. What is the risk and what is the gain of maintaining the status quo? Because just as there is risk in action, there is risk in inaction as well. And we want to make sure that people note um, note those those costs. Um, Steve, uh, when when I initially kind of had that idea, what was your take on it? What are your views on the lack of recommendation?
4: Uh, you know, I think you, you really hit it. We touched on it earlier, too. It's the idea that everybody makes recommendations in the national security space, and every recommendation carries a certain amount of bias. By, by stepping away from those recommendations and just presenting options, then you allow people to make their own choices and, and not be painted into a corner with somebody else's ideas or with somebody else's bias. So, you know, from the from the outset, I thought it was a great idea and a great way to approach problems.
0: And discuss the, the format again, because you do have a template that if someone decides they want to write for you, they have this template, which, as you mentioned earlier in the show, it very much, for a reader, makes it very easy to know exactly what's taking place in such and such a paragraph. Um, and describe... Um, the format in more detail.
2: So um, o- overall what the format does is it, it the first heading it describes a national security situation and then it uh, displays the date that the article was written and then the date it was originally published because eventually someday we're going to be republishing our archives and so you know within the first you know, one inch of white space on somebody's screen. I wanted them to see, okay, wh- what am I reading about? When was this originally written? Because um, situations change. Um, information that was of value a, a week or a month ago may not be of value now. And so I want, I want folks to very quickly be able to surmise um, what they're reading in, in the next heading, we talk about this author and or article point of view, which is fun because um, when, when I originally designed the format, and Bob and Steve d- don't know this, I had, I had kicked around with the idea of that heading saying, state your bias. I love that. <laughs> yeah, th- that's originally what I wanted to do was state your bias, but, but state your bias, I felt, was going to be too um, limiting. And and what I mean by that is it, it only has one use. So right now, where we say author and or article point of view, so the author can write their point of view. You know, I am a retired military member. I believe in you know responsibility to protect, or I believe in any other you know foreign policy um, theory. Uh, but then the the article point of view thing is really fun because we have had people adopt uh, a completely different persona when they write. So one of our early articles we had as Mosul in Iraq began to be moved on um, to expel ISIL from there. We had a writer write from the point of view of the ISIL chief of strategy who is briefing Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi on options once the town fell. Um, Bob Hine has written a piece for us where he wrote, from the Chinese point of view, following the Taiwan Straits crisis in 1996, where he is briefing Chinese leadership on things that they can do to make sure um, the U.S. cannot ever move their ships where they moved during the Taiwan Strait crisis. So it it, it gives a lot of um, different maneuver room for our authors, which I think is good. We then talk about the background and then the sig- s- significance because there are a lot of problems in the world, but um, they don't all. You know, we need to know what the significance is of that problem, and then we just go through option number one where somebody describes something that could be done, and then they have to articulate risk and then gain, and then option number two and then risk and then gain, and then they have an other comments area. And then the final thing that we end up with is uh, recommendation none, which is funny because – and I think uh, I talked specifically with Cena about it last week um, because he had written an article and then somebody had um, reposted it on their website and had uh, basically, as I assessed, they had – said some bad things about it through a graphic that they posted and basically their idea was this article is horrible because they didn't make a recommendation and so i i found a way to contact the person i emailed them and i said hi my name's phil i i you know one of the three guys that runs divergent options and um i i noted your disappointment and the lack of recommendation please do not be harsh towards the author because n- lack of recommendation is what we do at our website it is it is all we do and then i got an email back that's that that said oh got it i i fixed it and then by the time i had emailed sina sina said i don't know what you're talking about there's no <laughs> there's no n- 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 negativity at all on the guy's website um which was which was pretty funny so and i know steve steve as you share our stuff on facebook don't you get an occasional strange reaction from people about the recommendation none
4: you know less less so now than before initially it was a it was always a hey what do you want what are you thinking what do you want us to do what's 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 the so what to it now i think people have kind of figured out that figured out the format and the approach and uh aside from the occasional troll, it's just, uh, it's pretty good response overall.
2: Well, and the fun, the fun part is, you know, we don't get a lot of trolls, but whenever we do, uh, you know, generally it's on Twitter, and um, I run our Twitter account. And so 100% of the time, kind of our policy is that, that, that our response to a troll is always, you know, thank you very much for your opinion. We look forward to receiving your 1,000-word essay.
0: <laughs> That's one 1,
2: 1 thousand word article. Um, and Have so far,
0: one, has anyone ever um, actually sent you one? Then?
2: Oh no! Oh no! No, oh, defi- no that defi- would be great. Defi- definitely not. Definitely um, not. And I've I've had to do that at least a dozen times, and um, it just every single time it's thank you very much. We look forward to receiving your article.
0: Yeah. And then what are it's some- awesome
3: full attacks like a badger?
0: so what are some of the favorite issues that you've covered and why i mean it might of course be personal because it's your own interest but let's hear some of the favorite topics that you've covered and that your writers have covered or the topics that you've suggested
2: well we as as kind of we go along with our theme of you know we want to make things easy For our readers and for our writers, we, you know, Bob and Steve and I kind of planned out all of our call for papers, uh, you know, thirteen months in advance, and we announced them all because we want to have people, we want to give potential writers as much time as possible um, to kind of plan their year if they want to write on one of our topics. And then, besides just the call call for papers, you know, we have published a ton of stuff that has nothing to do with our call for papers, and that's great. That's absolutely uh, perfect, and I love that stuff. We don't want to li- li- limit anyone. Um, as far as the the things that I've really liked, um, the the first call for papers we did was uh, for Syria, and we had some really neat articles come out of that. One that that really stuck out at me was. Um, Ivana Hu's article, which focused on Chinese equities in uh, the conflict in Syria, which was very, very good, and a perspective that I think was, um, was not generally written about at the time. The uh, options in the South China Sea was really, really interesting, and I'll let Bob kind of talk more about that in a second as our uh, r- representation from the sea services – and the options in cyberspace one has been really fun for me thus far because I don't know anything about cyber. So as I edited each of these papers, I had to go back and forth with our, with our writers, some of them a few times where I said, okay, you know, break, break this paragraph down like someone has no idea what you're talking about, which was uh, always very good. Steve?
4: Yeah, I'll tell you. I uh, I'm not sure I have a favorite yet. I kind of echo uh, Phil's thoughts, and I've had fun with a lot of the different uh, topic areas. And I think we're just uh, we're just starting to get warmed up. And and I think for me, um, my favorite part of this whole thing isn't isn't any particular issue. It's watching the interest and the momentum build from issue to issue to issue, as more people discover. Uh, the blog, more people discover the format, and and more people jump on board and want to share it and talk about it and drive discussion. That's, that's for, for my uh, foxhole, that's been uh, my favorite part of all of this.
0: And Bob, do you want to add anything to that?
3: Well, so, so, you know, so what I'll add is is the great thing is, as and as Phil has mentioned, you know, is there's the Basic, uh, you know, criteria, basic topics that we have, and I've had a lot of fun with them. And the great thing is, is that you, know, you see the topic, and you, and all of a sudden, in your mind, you immediately know, oh, well, he's talking about this, and uh, and and this, this is what we th- what we must be thinking about. But then, as as the articles start to roll in, you realize people are thinking across an incredible array of different problems and the issues. And uh, as Phil mentioned, you know. With regard to the South China Sea topic, you know there has been just a tremendous amount written on that. But again, it's written by people that are you know the, the, the China experts or the maritime naval China experts, and, and and you get a lot of voices that just really haven't haven't had that, that opportunity before. Matter of fact, uh, we have a, a, a recent partnership with the uh, Center for International Maritime Security, who's pick, picking up a couple of the articles that were written from that series. Um, just because of the, the the fresh voices, the fresh perspectives, you know, the ways of looking at things that really haven't had a lot of, uh, of play before, and so it's and the other piece, so as Phil in mentioned, was the hey, you don't necessarily need to follow the topics if you've got a an issue, and and there have been some issues that were like I didn't even, wasn't even aware of, you know, where people come out and say, you know, this is what I've been working on for like ten years, and nobody cares about it, and I'm not reading or hearing anything about it, but here's my perspective on it, and you're like, wow, you know, never knew that was going on, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot there. Um, it's fun. It really is, and it's, it's a learning experience, and like Steve had mentioned, as the, the, the format continues to, to gain ground, um, you just get incredible divergence of opinions and views and different ways of looking at the problem, which for national security experts and the people that are actually tasked with doing these things is really necessary.
2: Yeah, there was there was one article specifically that when I got an e- email about it, um, it, it had me—I um, don't want to say shocked, but it had me really intrigued and really um, happy as far as how our reach had been going. Where um, there's a gentleman named Ian Strutt who wrote, uh, who is in Australia, and he wrote an article called "Options for Bougainville Independence." And as a former Marine, you know, of course I know where Bougainville is. It's an island in the South Pacific and the Marine Corps was there in World War II, but I had not ever thought of it in my entire life because it's not a huge issue for me, but it turns out that there's significant mineral resources there and China is trying to position itself and uh and he wrote a great a great article for us about something that I think many, many people were not focused on at all. And and that was one of those things that was really, really neat to see.
0: And being someone that is also in a venture that is small, so Loopcast is myself and Cena pretty much, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of questions that come up when you're starting it as well as ongoing. So what have been some of the challenges that you've faced creating and keeping divergent options running
2: so i'll start the only the only challenge that i've seen so far and steve and bob and i have been talking about this at length and um it'll lead to some, some some things in the future is is and bob hit this on the head really really well with me recently he said um, as we were talking about, you know, ideas for the future and things like that, and Bob said, you know, if you want to write for divergent options, you have to write for divergent options. And what what Bob explained beyond that was that, you know, most most national security things, people will write an article and then shop it around, but with us, you can't do that because of our format. So it, it either it either has to be, you seek us, or we seek you. There's there's not really a shopping around type thing. So what we've been discussing is possibly opening up a second line of effort sometime in the future where we will have a format of some variety, but we will really um, allow our authors, our writers, right now we have a part on our format where we, it just says background and significance. And we may develop something in the future where instead of having an options paper, we just have an analysis paper where someone in a thousand words can deep dive the background and significance of a national security situation in a little bit more of a free flow um, and then not even explore any options at all. But we're still trying to figure out amongst us. So, um how we want to do that. So that's kind of the the only challenge so to speak um that I've seen so far um with regarding what, kind of what Steve said earlier about, you know, pushback from people um when I was talking to a friend uh who's not involved in divergent options about some of the pushback we got in the beginning, one of the great one-liners he told me that I kind of have adopted and I use quite often is he he said you know, you, the flack is always heaviest when you're over the right target, which is uh, something that I keep in mind quite often. So that's kind of my take on the challenges. Um, Steve?
4: Yeah. Um, for me, I think the the biggest challenge is, uh, especially in the first year, is this is such a highly competitive space. There's, there's no shortage of blogs and writers and thinkers in the NASDAQ space. And all of them have their own ideas, their own way of doing things. And so, within that competitive space, um, you have to be both unique and fresh. And and for us, the the uniqueness of the format ensures that that uh, at least for the near term, that we don't have any competition with respect to how we present information, how we present those options. The the freshness is always going to be a challenge. Um, and. Uh, I think uh, both, both Bob and uh, Phil talked about it pretty well earlier saying that uh, you know we may do a call for papers and give somebody three months of lead time to, to talk about uh, you know what's happening on the, on the lunar surface in uh, 2020 but at the same time if somebody has a hot topic like Bougainville they can just throw it at us and and that ensures the freshness stays there and as long as we're able to do those two things, we're, uh, you know, those are the biggest challenges for us. Uh, and then the rest of it, you just have to allow things to evolve over time and let, let this take, its own, take, it off, take on a life of its own.
3: But, but one thing I think that, that we have a competitive advantage on, and I'll, I'm going to turn it over back to Phil in a second, is we have a secret weapon. You know, when you're trying to overcome the challenges and you're trying to overcome trying to figure out what the next step is, um, we have an advisory board that is probably second to none. matter of fact, it's been claimed to be uh, better staffed than the Pentagon at times. So explain <laughs> <military laughs> what that means.
2: yeah, yeah. so um, you know along along that theme of always surround yourself with uh, people that are much, much smarter than you are, we assembled a five person kind of strategic advisory board to help you know kind of guide us and inspire us. And we are very fortunate to have um, Janine Davidson, who just recently stepped down as the 32nd Undersecretary of the Navy. We have uh, Nathan Freer, excuse me, Fryer from um, uh, U.S. Army War College. We have Stephen Rosen from Harvard. We have Corey Shockey from the Hoover Institute, and we have Tamara Kaufman Widdis from Brookings. And we engage with them about once a quarter. And they've been extremely helpful with um, ideas and connecting us with people. And, uh, you know, well, we really try to be um, as respectful as we can of their time. And so we, when we all get together, we have a, an agenda that we go through. And they've been very, very helpful. And we have definitely appreciated it because uh, it is something that, the they have been reimbursed via a divergent op- options coffee mug, so it's not like they are uh, uh, they're donating their time to us for a coffee mug. And those, so uh,
4: those are highly sought after items. So so Phil Phil, uh, Phil can't sell that thing enough. There are people crawling over the uh, over the shelves looking for those things, and they're rare and hard to find.
2: They are. I mean, trying to find Zazzle.com is is very challenging. It's <laughs> very challenging. <laughs>
3: but it's worth the effort it is
2: and all products were designed by steve leonard himself
0: very nice very nice it's always good to have a coffee mug on your desk and you know you pick up your coffee or in my case tea because i'm a tea lover and you see that logo it's always good so i completely condone and thumbs up for coffee mugs (laughs)
2: <laughs> and, and the and the extra extra large coffee mug is something that I insured was there because I drink a I have a gigantic like twenty eight ounce coffee mug that I drink from every morning and when Steve put the store together I said we need to have one of those gigantic ones and so Which so apparently it's
3: not legal in all states
2: apparently <laughs> not
3: yeah <laughs> so maybe
0: we could bring this talk a little bit to the direction of writing for Divergent Options, because both Sina and myself have had the honor to write artic- an article for the website. So, Sina, do you want to explain your experience writing for this
1: site? Sure. Um, so, I think uh, with the reason I wanted to write for your site was, um, starting off, like, it was... Uh, like in the infosec community, there's a, a discussion about how to deal with information warfare and infor- information operations, in the sense of like post Snowden, post wikilinks You know, how do you deal with um, not just insider threats, but people who who essentially put make public data that is true, and really, you know, the operation becomes about spinning and explaining and sort of marginalizing um, a narrative. And uh, having come from humanities and poli-sci and then getting into um, tech, uh, my personal leaning was um, sort of reviving the US um, information agencies, uh, sort of a a cold war leftover. Um, And in course of sort of researching divergent options, like for this paper, it just got me thinking about not only the limitations the historical limitations, so being able to say to enunciate risks forced me to research deeper into into what the u s information agency was or you know can be um but also like sort of canvassing the community and thinking about what have other people have said and if you go through and read the that paper um there's two other options one is sort of reviving uh, a group from the the 80s, the, um, the active measures working group. And then the third option was basically, you know, doing what Wikileaks did or whoever and hacking and <coughs> doxing and dumping data. But in, in the course of like writing this, I, you know, being able to to, to explain a policy or explain an option is... One thing, but also being able to explain the risks, and you know, you know, if you bring back if you bring back a U.S. Inf- you know information agency, you know, one of the risks is how does that fit in with you know cyber command, the broadcasting board of governors, the state department, like thinking about an issue complexly and not just arguing for one thing without you know understanding understanding it three and four dimensionally. Um, which I really like. Like I just, like I, as I said at the top of the show, I think, you know, critical thought is, is sort of a dying art. And it's, um, it's you know, in my personal experience, I feel like it's more conducted in private than in public. And in public is where we really need it, to be honest. But um, that, that was my experience. Um, what about you, Chelsea?
0: So Phil actually came to me and said, hey, I've got this great venture and it was for, I guess your first issue on Syria, Syria, Iraq, and everything going on in that region. And I, of course, said, yes, this will be awesome. Um, initially, we had a different idea, but because of other research-related issues and funding from some of the research I'm doing, it got very complicated. So we came up with another idea, and it was looking at options for Syrian refugees if they were going to return back to Syria. And to be honest being someone that loves to write and tending to write very long pieces, I will just put it out there that the thousand word format was probably the hardest thing for me to do because I'm used to writing these long papers that we were discussing that majority of people don't read all of them and read them straight from cover to back. So it was challenging in that sense for me, but I love it because I love challenges. And I love the format with Sorry, the various options and explaining the issue and the gains or possible losses depending on the topic, and so I just found it challenging. Will be the first way of describing it. Um, it did make me think very differently about an issue and how I was writing it because you do have a limited amount of space within the thousand word limit, so. It makes you as a writer look at something very differently and you analyze it differently. You are very precise on your wording because you have this limit. So I loved it because it was a challenge and I will second, I think it was Steve that mentioned at the starting of the show that Phil is a great uh, editor and Phil was my editor, and I will definitely second that because it was fantastic working with Phil. Um, he's very easygoing. I would say Phil is probably the one of the quickest responders, too. It's not one of these things that you send something off and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to hear back, which a lot of other publication arenas have that um, downside to them. So with Divergent Options, the turnaround was very quick. Um, editing was very quick. Suggestions, if there were suggestions. So it was really a pleasure to work with you.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chelsea. So well, what's funny is I never, I never planned this out as far as the editing piece and having the 1,000-word cap and the format really makes it so I can edit things pretty quick because I'm not really looking at all a whole bunch of things and and I've had I've had times before where it's taking me longer to um, kind of organize the end notes into the format that we use it took me longer to do that than it did to actually provide substantive so substantive edits um, and really a lot of the edits that we provide I don't I don't think are necessarily that substantive and you know I, I think I've, I've mentioned before to definitely to, to, to Steve and Bob is, you know, at the end of the day, we just, we want to be nice and I don't want to, I would rather have a writer walk away from divergent options, having had a positive experience with us. And, um, as an editor, I will, you know, I've had times before where I've, Changed something and then sent it back to the author, and the author rejected the edit, and that's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that at all. And so we've we've had that before. Where I'd rather have that person walk away thinking, "Oh, that was a good experience," and then come back and write again, than you know prove to them that I am the all powerful editor and you will bend to my will, or you will go write for some other website because that's. That is definitely not the person I want to be because I've met those people before and I've been on the receiving end of their, uh, of their power trip and that's not going to be divergent options.
0: Yes, uh, I'm sure everybody in this discussion, since we're all writers, has had that experience and it can be very unpleasant at times and you have to have a very strong personality to just sort of say, okay, I will try this somewhere else.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: So to wrap up the show... I have a question, and I will put it out to all three of you because I think you might have a similar response or it might be different depending on your visions for divergent options, but what do you see for the future?
2: So if my world were perfect, we would continue to do two articles a week. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that. If we can, that's great. If not, we will publish what we can when we can, and that will be fine too. Um, so that's kind of my overarching thing is I just want to be able to sustain the pace we've had thus far. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Steve? And,
4: and I'd echo what Phil said. You know, uh, we we talk about this infrequently, but um, when we do talk about it, it's the same thing that comes up. And that's the idea that uh, we, we want to... We want to continue with the two articles a week. And beyond that, um, just kind of see how things play out and where they go. Uh, This is a space that's ever-changing. It's ever-evolving. And so I'll go back to the two things that I said earlier, which was as long as you're unique and as long as you're fresh, you can survive and thrive in this space. And so it's really important to do those two things. And where they lead you, you just kind of got to go with the flow and see how things go. And occasionally try a new idea and float it and see if it works. But for the most part, uh, I think we'll continue to drive on uh, the way we're doing
3: and just see how it goes from there. Bob. So, so what I hope happens is that where this takes off is with the, those those nascent new writers, you know, and, and as, as those kids that are doing their PhDs at King's College or their masters at Harvard, the Nissa School or Georgetown and they're working on their projects, and they're they're passionate about their topic, and they realize that that the options, the possible solutions that could happen, um, and they will turn them out and crank them out and say, okay, I I, I have a voice, and I need to get it out, and and Divergent Options is the place for them to go. While at the same time, um, it is those folks within the military that are just discouraged from writing because, you know, well, they've been for 20, 25, 30 years and have never written anything and are concerned about still, you know, the, the, the editorial process or the, hey, you've, you've kicked it back to me and I really don't have time to shop it around. And, I've, you know, and, and so understanding the diversion Options will be that, that venue uh, whereby those nascent writers, those new writers, depending on and, and every p- potential definition of what a new writer is, Uh, feels that this is their home. That's how I see it.
0: So I would like to give all of you again the moment to maybe have a last say or if there's something we haven't touched on in this talk, just go for it because um, this has been really, really fun. I've enjoyed having all of you on and hearing about your venture and how everything started and the future and the funny stories. But let me just give you this time to maybe... Say something that is on your mind that we just haven't had the time to touch on.
2: Yeah, so I'll I'll just kind of say what I always say on Twitter, which is, um, to our writers, thank you. We would not be here without you, period, full stop. We would not have divergent options unless we had these amazing people who take time away from family, friends, hobbies, sleep, whatever, and they put their fingers on the keyboard, and they choose to spend time writing with us. So thank you to our writers. For people that are listening to this, please consider writing for us. I promise you it will be a very positive experience. Um, we want to get your ideas out there. If, no matter where you're from, no matter what you're doing, if you've got a national security-related idea, we'd love to hear from you. Again, um, ideas matter, not pedigree. If you don't speak English, we'll find a translator. You know, Get in touch with us. Please, please do. Steve?
4: I would just double down on what Phil said, that uh, we have a venue, we have an outlet. If you have ideas, you need a voice, we're here to help you, and, and we won't let anything get in the way of that. Other than that, uh, Bob? Bob?
3: So, so I, I would point to more than just the writers, though, to the readers and actually the people that are working in the national security sphere. Um, as, as you are grinding through those problems, those unsolvable problems that you get every day and trying to find solutions to your problems, um, Divergent Options already has or soon will give you a list of options in which to solve those problems. And you get to pick the recommendation.
0: Well, I just want to once again thank you for all being here this evening. It's a Sunday evening, and you've all decided to spend it on the Loopcast talking about Divergent Options. So I really appreciate you doing this, and I'm sure our listeners are really going to
2: enjoy hearing about this. I hope so. Thank you so much for having us on, Chelsea.